Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, FanDuel refused to pay out $82,000 of winnings because they said they placed odds that were a mistake. And after after backlash, you know, they eventually paid out. Uh, but having to publicly shame a company should not be the only recourse a better gets. You know, it's preserving private rights to action. It's giving them the ability to push back against these big interests especially when you're playing a game like this that, that can be detrimental to your finances. Welcome to the Edge of Sports Podcast. I'm Dave Zirin. This week, we speak to the director of the Sports Fan Coalition, Brian Hess, about what's happening with sports and gambling in the United States. Fascinating discussion. And also, how sports fans can be empowered to actually affect the landscape of the sports world. Also, uh, I've got some choice words about what the worst of sports taught Brett Kavanaugh and what it still teaches today. Lastly, we got our Just Stand Up and Just Sit Your Ass Down awards, a little bit of Kaepernick Watch, and much more. But first, let's go to the executive director of the Sports Fan Coalition and a Washington Nationals fan in mourning, Brian Hess. Ryan Hess, thanks so much for joining us on the Edge of Sports podcast. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Oh, absolutely. So before we get started, um, I was hoping you could tell us a little bit about the Sports Fan Coalition, of which I'm a board member. I want you to talk a little bit about the history of SFC and then how you got started and involved in this kind of organizing. Yeah, so we were founded about 10 years ago uh, with really a big interest in sports fans' access to games, especially on television. Uh, so we launched a big campaign to overturn the sports blackout rule, which in 2014 we were able to do uh, unanimously at the FCC. Uh, prior to that, the NFL could uh, blackout a game on broadcast if they didn't sell enough home tickets. You know, So fans who couldn't get to a game because they were uh, handicapped or they couldn't afford the tickets because you know football tickets are absurdly priced, they, could watch, they couldn't watch their own game and their own team. So we wanted to fix that. We did. 
Uh, and since then, we've turned our attention to a lot of different issues in sports because, you know, people who want to keep politics as sports don't realize that the intersection of politics and sports has been around for centuries. Uh, we turned our attention to public financing of sports stadiums, continue fighting antitrust issues, especially considering how almost every league has an antitrust exemption of some kind. Uh, and very recently, we're, we've been working alongside Hope Solo to reform U.S. soccer. So that's amazing. So what Sports Fan Coalition has done is it's taken the fan, which is usually the most passive element in the I, – I always look at it as the triangle of, uh, of the sports world. You've got the players, you've got the owners, you've got the fans, with the fans being the most important of those three. Without the fans, there's no games, there's no profits, there's no professional sports. But at the same time, that's always the most passive element of the three corners. And what the Sports Fan Coalition is trying to do is to take that corner and activate it. Is, is that correct? Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Uh, you know, fans are what make sports fun. They're what makes it enjoyable. Uh, the whole reason there's a billion dollar industry is because of us. Uh, but we, we come up because we want to advocate for the fan. The leagues, they claim they have the fans' best interests at them, but name another business or industry that actually has their consumers' interests at heart. Uh, that's not the case. And so, you know, 10 years ago, there wasn't a fan advocate out there. Um, and we've been around since then making sure that fans can still go afford their games um, and that we put the best quality players on the field, you know, by reforming youth systems. Uh, so we keep busy with all of that. Wow. No, that, that's really important, interesting work. Now, you mentioned the, uh, the, the, the league blackout rule. We, I mean, that, that's a real victory that SFC had, that, and that doesn't, doesn't necessarily get the publicity or the attention, but what, what are some other wins that SFC has had? Like, I guess I'm also asking, like, what are reasons that people should join SFC and be part of the sports fan movement? Yeah, so a lot of our big wins... Uh, you don't hear about much in the press because about the state political level too. Uh, I go around to state capitals all over the country, uh, testifying about opening up the second uh, secondary ticket market and uh, preventing ticket fraud uh, online. You know, there's these things called white label ticket sites that uh, mis mislead their consumers into thinking that they're the primary venue by using the same colors, logos, uh, URLs like official box office dot Fenway. Um, you know, or any other variation of that, uh, and they charge hundreds of dollars more for the same seat. You know, so I, you know, you th that kind of stories don't get covered as much in the press, but we're there in ev almost every state, still, uh, still chipping away at these you know, ticket fraud laws. Uh, and then just this past summer, we beat Sinclair Tribune. Uh, we were one of the leaders of the opposition uh, for a massive broadcasting merger, and the reason we got involved was Sinclair uses marquee sports events. Uh, to hold over the head of distributors like you know, Dish Network, Comcast, you know, all the cable providers. I know it's weird to make them seem like the, you know, the, the little guys here, but uh, they get you know held over during negotiations, and we they use sports as that bargaining chip, uh, and so we didn't really they, we didn't want that. But also Sinclair, well, when they bought a station, would come and fire the entire sports casting team for the local sports. Mm. You know, so you're gonna. You might not lose the uh, coverage of your local, you know, let's just say Ravens because uh, Sinclair is based right outside Baltimore, uh, but you're going to lose the coverage of the local high school teams. You know, uh, what's happening with the, the Little League team that might be going to the uh, Little League World Series, all of that coverage gone with Sinclair. Mm. 
That's really something right there. And also, I mean, any victory against Sinclair, the way they've been accruing power, uh, I think people have to look at as being much more important beyond just the world of sports. Right. I mean, there's there's a lot of we were part of a very diverse coalition uh, from all ends of the spectrum going against Sinclair. No, that's fantastic. Now, I know the latest work has been around um, something that's called PASPA, which is the Professional and Amateur Sports Protection Act of 1992. Um, and it was just overturned earlier this year, and it has big implications for sports gambling. Can you speak a little bit about what PASPA was, what it protected, the implications of it being overturned, and what you're trying to do now? I know that's a big question, but I know it's so central to SFC's work. I know you can explain it and break it down for us. Right, so PASPA was about stopping the spread of sports betting uh, in the early 90s, and sp- largely because sports betting and gambling generally uh, has been used by the mob um, and other criminal enterprises to launder money. Uh, and they thought this was a way to prevent that. And then also they saw it as a way to protect the integrity of the game. And that's going to be a phrase that you're going to hear a lot in this conversation, uh, integrity of the game, especially from the league and the casino interests. Um, you know, so Passport was trying to prevent people from placing bets on sports, but what it did was officially it banned states from authorizing uh, sports betting in their state. Uh, and why it got overturned is they realized the Supreme Court ruled that it violated the Tenth Amendment. Uh, federalism, so that, you know, the, the federal government can't prevent a state from you know doing something, uh, and I mean broad broad strokes there. Um, what I believe the the court said was that regulated the state government's regulation of their citizens, as how they phrased it. Uh, and now that it's overturned, states are free to legalize sports betting as they see fit. Uh, there's no there's no rule for how they have to do it; they just can choose to do it or not. Uh, and so we're watching states scramble uh, to enact sports betting legislation. Um, and a lot of it is honestly anti-fan. Uh, it's a lot of the big money interest coming in, passing very lax uh, laws that legalize it and then don't do much more. Uh, and that's kind of where, where we stepped in was once it was overturned, we realized that there's no consumer voice going happening in the states right now. Uh, addressing what sports betting protections need to be. Uh, and so we got together with some of the leading advocates in the space, including the National Consumers League, uh, the Maryland Attorney General, uh, and other law professors ex- and other experts, uh, especially gambling addiction experts, to figure out what protections need to be included in these bills. Uh, and that's where we came up with our Sports Betters Bill of Rights. Mm-hmm. Talk about that Bill of Rights, please. Yeah, so we have five rights, uh, to keep it simple. We have integrity and transparency, the right to data privacy and security, self-exclusion, protection of the vulnerable, and the right to recourse. Uh, integrity and transparency is pretty straightforward. Uh, you know, we need to be able to trust that the games are honest, that people aren't shaving points, and one way to do that is by preventing uh, athletes or anyone associated with a team or a league from placing a bet. But more important is the transparency, because transparency is what will build that integrity. Uh, knowing who owns the uh, and the operator, where that money goes, how payouts are done, what's the process, what's the data and information that the player that the better should have on the players and on the team to place that bet. Uh, data privacy and security. Uh, that's really about online betting. Uh, the the 
biggest argument for legalizing sports betting is to break up the black market. Right now in America, $150 billion is bet on the black market every year. You know, so it's huge money, but that's all going offshore. A lot of it's done through online offshore accounts. Uh, and about, I believe it's about 80% or so that is actually bet illegally online of that $150 billion. Uh, so the only way to really break up that black market is to incorporate online uh, legal betting. Uh, and we look at this as like, what's going to what's going to incentivize someone to leave the black market and come over to the legitimate market, especially online? And it's guaranteeing their data is secure and their privacy is maintained. That's something that the black market can't offer. Uh, and then we have self-exclusion. Self-exclusion has been a really proven system that's worked, especially in Massachusetts. Uh, it's an opt-out uh, situation. So if I was a better and I know that, you know, I can kind of lose control when I'm, you know, watching the game, I can enforce a limit on myself and say I will not be allowed to bet anything greater than $100. And the operator will have to honor that limitation. And it's purely self-imposed, uh, you know, and it, it can be changed, but it's not an easy thing to change. Uh, you can also, like, opt out of advertising of certain contests, opt out of entire types of bets if you'd like. Uh, and then protection of the vulnerable, you know, children should not be placing bets, especially when you look at uh, addiction and gambling. Uh, the younger you start, the more likely you are to become addicted. And so we don't want children betting. Uh, we, we don't want children betting. Uh, and we also want protections for pr problem gamblers, at-risk gamblers, uh, you know, it, it makes about only 2% of the population uh, is a pathological gambler. They have a gambling addiction problem. Uh, so it's small, but they st it's still an important segment of the population that needs to be addressed. And it's also one that no one is really addressing. Uh, if you listened at the sports betting hearing at the House Judiciary Committee uh, this past uh, week on Thursday, the word addiction never showed up. No one is talking about that element of it. And that's really what fits into the, uh, the fourth right, protection of the vulnerable. And finally, uh, recourse. Uh, recourse is the only way a fan has the ability to get what they're owed. Uh, a couple weeks ago, FanDuel refused to pay out $82,000 of winnings because they said they placed odds that were a mistake. Uh, and after, after backlash, you know, they eventually paid out. Uh, but... Having to publicly shame a company should not be the only recourse a better gets. You know, it's preserving private rights to action. It's giving them the ability to push back against these big interests, especially when you're playing a game like this that, that can be detrimental to your finances. Uh, you need to have that protection and that, you know, that support. So what was it like to be inside these, and this has obviously been a very dramatic week uh, in Washington, D.C., so these hearings that you were a part of, uh, certainly weren't getting the lion's share of publicity of what was happening. How is this breaking down along party lines, if at all? And do you feel like we're, you're getting some decent response from Congress? Yeah, it's actually interesting. It's one of the few things that I wouldn't define as down party lines. Uh, you have the far, uh, I'll call the far right end of the spectrum, what, what I'm calling the moral legislators. Uh, they're the ones that think gambling is just wrong. It's bad, and therefore the government shouldn't do anything. Uh, then continuing down the spectrum on the right end still, you have like the libertarian mindset of, well, it's happening. You know, freedom, 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 freedom. 
legalize it. And then you have on the left end, uh, far on the left, are the very progressive generally Democrats who view this as a regressive tax and therefore don't want to mm. legalize gambling. And when I mean regressive tax, people who are lower income tend to bet more. Uh, they are more likely to be susceptible to it. They're more likely to want to engage because it could, they view it possibly as a way out of their financial situation. Uh, so it's argued as a regressive tax. Um, and then you also, you know, more into the center with, on the left side, you have the people who view this as a great way to fund public education, uh, support the public health, and a variety of different public services that can be supported by the tax revenue that gets generated by sports betting uh, without having to raise taxes on anybody else. You know, so you have this really weird like circle almost uh, where you have conservatives and Democrats who agree each other, but they're on the more middle end. And then on the extremes you have that they actually agree. You know, it, it's a really weird dynamic to have to navigate. Wow. And how are you navigating it? Uh, I'm focusing on that middle part. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, I, I do believe it's a great way to fund a lot of public services. Uh, you know, this is a way that in DC is actually introducing a bill right now uh, that would put, it's a 10% tax, but it would put about 50% of it to uh, the a pre-K kind of child care program. Uh, and then another 50% to the arts and humanities fund. Wow. Uh, which I think is a great use of the money. Uh, you have other, you know, other states though who are enacting it are just kind of putting it all into one general fund. You know, whatever the, you know, whatever the state needs, uh, they're still getting more tax revenue, but it's not earmarked for any kind of public interest. You don't know where it's going. You don't know what it's going to be paying out for. Uh, I would, if it were me, I would much rather know that the money that I'm gambling is at least going to a good cause. Absolutely. Wow. So, Brian, this is fascinating stuff. Um, how do you see this all shaking out? I mean, where do you see this ending? It's hard to say at this point. Uh, states are scrambling fast. States wanted to go fast. Uh, you know, we already have it in you know, half a dozen states. Um, and so what we see are the states want to do it. Then we have the federal legislators like Hatch and Schumer who are saying we need a federal framework. And there's this big split between what that federal framework is and where should the state's role be. Uh, and so we're gonna have a lot of complications with that and how, you know, as states begin to legalize it, how's that gonna shift the dynamic on the federal level uh, to legalize it and support federal frameworks? It's, it's gonna be a mess. It's gonna be a mess for a few years, um, but we're, we're excited for it. Well, awesome. And how can people take action? Uh, it's actually really easy. If you go to sportsfans.org, uh, on our homepage, we have a big blue button that says sign our petition. Click that, fill in your information, and that's going to help me call up your representative and tell them that you want this, that you want to be protected uh, when sports betting comes to your state. Uh, you know, it's, We expect it to move in probably about 10 more states uh, coming soon. Uh, and you know, who knows whether else you know, isn't on isn't on the t uh, radar right now. It's we're surprised every day at what state decides to act. Uh, it's hard to predict. So it's really important you go, you sign the petition at sportsfans.org, and let us know that you you want to be protected. So I can call up your your legislators and your um, your representatives and let them know. My goodness, couldn't be easier than that. Sportsfans.org, hit the big button, and help Brian get to work. 
So, Brian, thank you so much for appearing on the Edge of Sports podcast. Before you go, I know you know we ask every guest this in terms of what kind of music you listen to when you're doing your work, when you're getting ready, when you're doing your thing, when you're getting psyched up in the morning or when you're sitting in front of the computer. I know this because you sent me an email saying that you were trying to figure it out and you wanted to have a good answer. So I'm putting it in your lap right now, Brian. What's your music? Uh, well, so I used to study music when I was in college. So I've got a uh, real respect oh. for the real classics. Uh, so if I'm writing, I'm listening to Bach. Uh, ah. But if I'm getting pumped up before a big meeting, it's uh, DJ Khaled's All I, uh, All I Do Is Win. All right, so now I think we know what to pump in right now. I'm looking at my producer. My producer's like, yep. Because, <laughs> because Ann, that's a good uh, slogan for SFC because all you do is win, win, win no matter what. Absolutely. Fantastic. Hey, Brian, thanks so much for joining us on the Edge of Sports podcast. All right, thanks, Dave. We'll be back right after this, but first, a quick word from the sponsor of this podcast, The Nation Magazine. Okay, look, the need for independent journalism has never been more important, and The Nation brings it each and every week like they've been doing since 1865. I'm serious. This is what you got to read. It's The Nation Magazine. Go to thenation.com slash subscribe, and please never forget that when you support The Nation Magazine, you are also supporting the continued existence of this podcast. So please subscribe. Go to www.thenation.com slash subscribe. And now, back to the Edge of Sports podcast. And now, as promised, I've got some choice words about what the worst of sports taught Brett Kavanaugh and what it still teaches today. Okay, look. To reprise an old vaudeville joke, this week has been one of the longest years of our lives. It's the squirmy dissembling of this clammy, gin-soaked, elitist mediocrity of Judge Brett Kavanaugh. It's the monstrous Mitch McConnell and Donald Trump creating indelible stains with their words, spewing the message that the survivors who come forward are just puppets of some kind of liberal plot. It's the what high school boy hasn't attempted rape analysis from Fox News and the evangelical hucksters. It's those same talking heads that cheer the locking up of immigrant children and racist mass incarceration who all of a sudden have acquired a passion for due process and the presumption of innocence. It's as journalist Chloe Angle tweeted, the enraging logic that drunk boys are not to be blamed, but drunk girls are. In this maelstrom of toxicity, I've been thinking about the ways that sports, in the time before the Me Too movement, was the site of the highest profile, most widely discussed cases of sexual assault, from NFL quarterbacks Ben Roethlisberger and Jameis Winston, to the high school football team of Steubenville, Ohio, to the too many NCAA sexual assault scandals to list. These stories were the backdrops to where rape and rape culture were debated and discussed. We've seen who has and hasn't escaped justice, and who were the bystanders while these assaults occurred. I've also been thinking about the several times in the last five years that I've been asked to speak to male high school and college athletes in largely white, privileged institutions about sexism, consent, and there's no delicate way to put this, why they shouldn't rape. 
I wish I could say that the Amy Schumer sketch parodying Friday Night Lights was far from the truth, but it really isn't. No way, But coach, we play football. My team, my rules. You don't like it? Don't let the door rape you on the way out. Can we rape in away games? Nope. What if it's Halloween and she's dressed like a sexy cat? Nope. What if she thinks it's rape, but I don't? Still no. What about like a, a sexy ladybug? Oh, yeah. Mm. Nope. <laughs> a ghost? What about a sexy owl? Sexy transformer? What if my mom is the DA and won't prosecute? Can I rape? No, you cannot. <sighs> What if she's drunk and has a slight reputation and no one's going to believe her? That ain't allowed. Okay. The girl said yes to me the other day, but it was about something else. No. What if the girl said yes, but then she changes her mind out of nowhere? Like a crazy person. You got to stop. No, you got to stop. The idea of affirmative consent was foreign to many of them. Most also saw themselves as flabbergasted victims of communities that had prejudged them to be rapists just because we're athletes. They believed that there was some war on jocks going on, a barrage of political correctness that was branding them as inherently inclined toward violent sexual assault. They were, to state the obvious, young, frustrated, and completely, completely clueless. When I would ask them if they'd ever been at a party where an assault took place, they uniformly would say no. When I would then define assault as taking advantage of a person who was passed out drunk, then the answer was yes, but always with the pushback, always with the caveat that their friend was also drunk and therefore if everyone is drunk, how can it be assault? The idea that they would be more than bystanders, that they would actually intervene if a teammate were assaulting someone passed out, was akin to me suggesting that they travel through hell in a gasoline suit. It was none of their business. When I asked for examples of what happens at parties, the stories of binge drinking were beyond anything I remembered from my own days. Instead of kegs and shots of whiskey, I heard stories of knockout punch, in which sedatives are mixed with fruit juice and grain alcohol, ladled out generously to all comers. When I asked how that was different from roofing a woman, I was told that it was not the same because the punch bowl was clearly labeled with the word knockout. It was normalized that ambulances would come to pump people's stomachs, stories which were told with laughs and fist bumps that gave a party its luster. Despite the above descriptions, the dominant attitude of these athletes wasn't arrogance or hostility, it was confusion. These encounters made it painfully obvious that we do not teach affirmative consent in this country. It also became crystal clear that on too many sports teams, the idea of the team, which in so many contexts can be a positive, also possesses the poisonous sorcery to create walls of silence and protect abusers. In this way, sports is a microcosm of our society, of Hollywood, of government, of the Catholic Church, and the fact that this country elected an admitted sexual assaulter as president. Brett Kavanaugh is the product of this very triplet, privilege entitlement in high school sports. These are cultures that nurture the very behaviors of which he is accused. That makes the way he's been shielded for decades all the more obvious and odious. That makes this wind tunnel of controversy he's endured way past overdue. Whether he becomes a Supreme Court justice or not, making him confront the essence of who he actually is matters. Not so much for his own personal growth, about which I could give a damn, 
but it creates the conditions for a long overdue reckoning way beyond the cushy confines of Bethesda, Maryland, about who we are, what we're teaching our sons, and why they should strive to be nothing like Brett Kavanaugh. And now it's time for the Just Stand Up Award. Just stand up and just sit your ass down. We have a first on this week's Edge of Sports podcast. I'm giving the Just Stand Up Award to an actual team, to a franchise, if you will. This week it goes to the Carolina Panthers for their signing of Eric Reed. Eric Reed, of course, is somebody who has filed a grievance against the NFL, accusing them of blackballing him for his aggressively pro-protest stance. He's also one of the people who took a knee with Colin Kaepernick from day one on the San Francisco 49ers. Now, it's unclear what effect the Panthers signing will have on that grievance, or whether Eric Reed will continue to protest on the sideline during Panthers games. That's unclear, but it definitely says something positive that the Panthers did so. Keep in mind that they did it because they actually have new ownership in Carolina. Gone is the alt-right sexual abuser Jerry Richardson. Out the door he goes. And the new owner is a guy named David Tepper. Now I don't know if David Tepper is much better, but he is somebody who gives a lot of money to democratic causes and clearly I think with this signing was putting a line in the sand to say we're no longer like one of those NFL teams that will blackball a player that will perform that kind of McCarthyite injustice. So the signing of Eric Reed is actually a big deal. It certainly made Colin Kaepernick very happy and it should make anybody happy who has stood with Eric Reed during these tumultuous months. So big ups to the Carolina Panthers, big ups to Eric Reed, big ups for just standing up. The Just Sit Your Ass Down Award Sit your ass down. goes to idiot Senator Ted Cruz, who during this great tragedy that was the Brett Kavanaugh confirmation said that the true, true sadness that he is experiencing is the fact that Brett Kavanaugh will probably going forward no longer be able to coach girls basketball again. Look, first and foremost, let me find the smallest violin on earth for the fact that we're going to be robbed Brett Kavanaugh's coaching ability at the youth basketball level. But second, yeah, you're damn right he should never coach girls basketball again. If that's the most of his problems, then Brett Kavanaugh got off as easy as he's gotten off his entire privileged, cosseted, cushy, nerfy life. Frankly, Brett Kavanaugh shouldn't be within 500 feet of a girls basketball game. He's lucky if that's the worst that comes out of all this. So, Ted Cruz, with your tiny violin, sit your ass down. We'll be back right after this with a quick word from Edge of Sports. Hey, everybody out there. This is Dave Zirin with the Edge of Sports podcast. People got to know that we put this podcast on with elbow grease and, and bubble gum on a weekly basis. And we're proud of the work that we do. We love it. But we can't do it without support from you, the listener. So please go to patreon.com slash edgeofsportspod and support the podcast. That's patreon.com slash edgeofsportspod. Any little bit you might give to support the podcast actually makes a huge difference to the work we're trying to do. That's patreon.com slash edgeofsportspod. We appreciate you. Make no mistake about it. And now, back to the Edge of Sports podcast. 
Kaepernick watch this week is very brief. Just I want to read Kaepernick's message after Eric Reed was signed by the Carolina Panthers. He said, love to Eric Reed. Congrats to my brother, E. Reed 35, all pro safety who should have been signed the first day of free agency. He was the first person to kneel alongside me. Eric is a social justice warrior and continues to support his family and communities in need. So that's the lead we're getting from Colin Kaepernick about Eric Reed signing. It's a moment for celebration. So big shout out, Eric Reed. Big shout out, Colin Kaepernick. We're going to get Colin on a team. If that's what Colin wants, he should have the right to play. Although, like a lot of folks, I'm glad his brain is remaining intact as we fight the battles ahead. Well, that's all we have for this week's Edge of Sports podcast. Thank you so much to Brian Hess. Thank you so much to um, everybody who puts this show together. Uh, For everybody out there listening, please go to iTunes, Stitcher, or your podcast app of choice. Leave us a rating. Uh, Do one of those things. That makes a huge difference. If you have ideas for the Just Stand Up and Just Sit Your Ass Down Award, you could always email me, Dave Zirin, at edgeofsports at gmail.com. Trust me, I get all your emails. I love getting that kind of feedback about the show uh for everybody out there listening please stay frosty we are out of here peace Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, 
we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.